Welcome to the Heart Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart Centered Therapist podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Gozanski, and I'm really happy to have a guest joining me today. I'm so excited and honored to bring you Tanya Winninger. Tanya is a licensed professional counselor and health coach. She is on a mission to heal the world one person at a time and believes in a whole person approach to healthcare, healing the mind, body, brain, and spirit. From this whole person perspective, she provides kindness, therapy, coaching, and neurofeedback. Tanya specializes in working with people who have experienced trauma, have been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, substance use disorders, depression, and anxiety. Through her work, she is committed to helping people get their life back. Such important work. Tanya, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Like, we're excited. Great. I love your energy. This is this is going to be so interesting. I have not had anybody on yet who is an expert in neuro-linguistic feedback and biofeedback. So we have a lot to talk about. But first, I love to start with a question about heart-centered therapy. What does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Really good question. So heart-centered therapy for me is so if we if we take a look at the chakras, we know that the heart is right, and this is the heart chakra. So making sure that we are centered in the heart and that when we are helping other people, because we went into this helping profession, right? That when we help other people, that we are helping from a space of kindness and that we are working with them. And notice that that's that key word is with them for that next level and that next evolution of their space so that when they're met with another challenge, they are leading from the heart and they are leading from the center. And so when, when you're grounded, when you're centered, and when you're coming from a space of kindness and love, there's, there's that whole element of non-judgmentalism. And so when we come at this from truly non-judgmental space, like how can you come from it in any other direction except from a heart-centered perspective? Oh, so beautiful. And you and you hold your hands over your heart chakra, center of the chest. That's, that's so great. I absolutely love this kindness that we have to start with kindness. And then also you said with our clients, that they're leading and we're with them. We're alongside them in the journey. Yes, absolutely. So like what, when, when I have our first session with a client and it's usually the assessment session is, is I talk about, you know, so being a coach and being a therapist, two completely separate paths, 
it doesn't matter if I'm sitting in the coach chair or if I'm sitting in the therapist chair. My role is to be a guide. You know, it's kind of like, you know, that labyrinth. You get to stand on top of the hedgerows and go, yep. Oh, I already know where the exit is. I already know where the pitfalls are. My job. Yes. My job is to help guide you and direct you when you start going to places going, you made that turn last time. What happened? You want to do something a little different? No, I want to do the same thing. Okay. I'm right here. (laughs) So just a guide with them. I cannot do it for you. You know, and when you work harder than your clients, they're not getting the benefit. You may need to go into the labyrinth with them. I really like this metaphor, right? As you're helping guide them or helping them determine, do they want to make that same turn again? Mm -hmm. I might have to go help them with that, right? I, I get down from the ledge quite frequently and we dive in, you know, I, I love this, this concept too, of the therapist on the ledge of the labyrinth looking down that sometimes we, we're just looking and guiding and maybe giving some with permission, some suggestions or feedback. And sometimes we're jumping into the labyrinth and just being with them and, and staying mm-hmm. with them there. That's, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. You yeah. have such fabulous energy, Tanya. This is, Thank this you. is so wonderful. I'd love to know a little, because we have not met before, about your journey to becoming a therapist. If you could share a little bit of, you know, your journey to becoming a therapist and a, and a health coach, maybe this, this latter portion of your current career. And you only scheduled one session for us to have a discussion? Oh, sister, let me tell you. So I'll give you the abbreviated version, okay. which is really fun. That's so okay. my... <laughs> so the journey to becoming a health coach really, um, so it's really rooted in trauma and, and it's really rooted in multiple traumas, abuse as a child, verbal, sexual, mental, physical, it's rooted in assault, uh, as a teenager and, and really growing up. So one of the very key, you know, when we talk about the steps on doing these, one of the very key things that when you pinpoint, this is where a decision was made. I became a parent at the age of 12, even though I had never given birth. Mm -hmm. I became a surrogate parent to a 17 year old and a nine year old. And my three-year-old sister or my two-year-old sister at the time, you took on that. I took on that role. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what was expected in, in families with trauma. You know, my biological father was an alcoholic and an abuser, and my mother was uh, not an alcoholic. However, she's codependent and an abuser. And, and so growing up in that family, there's roles that we take. And at the age of 12, we moved from one state to another state. And my mother went to work and was working long hours. And so that role that was supposed to have fallen to my older brother fell to me. And this really resonates with so many of our listeners, you know, who have experienced very similar traumatic childhoods where they, you know, they had to become parents well, you know, parentified. It's like, it's such a clinical term, but the way you put Mm -hmm. it is like, I became a parent at 12. Yeah, I did. And then, so at the age of 14, got a job, you know, I was working part-time while I was in junior high school 
you know, totally legitimized. And, and then at the age of 16, when my stepfather physically abused me, I moved out of the house, you know, and at the age of 17, I attempted suicide. Well, it was actually just a few weeks before I turned 17, I attempted suicide. And that attempt, thankfully, was an unsuccessful attempt. Um, you know, I know in suicidology, we don't use that word unsuccessful. For me, that was an unsuccessful attempt at ending. And, and I lived. Right. Your your words, right? Your story. You Mine. get to tell. Yeah. You know, so I went to, I went to the hospital, went to treatment, went to long-term residential treatment, not once, because they recognized that putting me back into this abusive environment was so not acceptable and healthy that, you know, within two weeks of being released the first time I was back into treatment. And, and my therapist there was absolutely stellar and amazing. And Gloria, if you ever come across this podcast, yes, I'm talking about you. And so I wanted to be a social worker at that point. Like I wanted to become a social worker. I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to help teens and parents, you know, with all of the shit that they go through. And, and so at, uh, at 19, after, after I had another assault and I was date raped at uh, 18, had a baby at 19 and then went to college. Like that was the plan. The plan was to go straight to college out of high school. And that plan got interrupted. I took a gap year, started school, spent, I think it was six and a half years on a four-year undergrad program, started working, you know, doing administrative stuff and then got into mental health again. Now keep in mind, I had been in and out of mental health agencies as an employee this entire time, I started working for the crisis line in my hometown. It was a deaf and hard of hearing crisis line. So I'm on the TTY machine. I'm taking phone calls, volunteering, like all of this in and out of working with people with mental illness and mental health issues. Interesting. And so the, the crux of why did I become a therapist was in 2008, I got fired from my job. I spent two years just kind of wallowing in you know, depression, anxiety, failure, you know, lack of success, you know, I'm not where I wanted to be, which later we learn is exactly where you wanted to be. And I finally just sucked it up and said, you know what, I'm not getting a job anywhere. I'm overqualified. I'm underdegreed. I might as well get, go get the degree to match my qualifications, realized how woefully underqualified I actually was. Uh, and I put myself through grad school. And I said, I'll just go become a therapist. Forget being a social worker because I'm a, I, at that point, I was a diehard social worker. Like social workers are like, yes, this is where you have to be. I was very militant about it. Yes, you must um, be in the grassroots realm. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right? And so I just, I went to the nearest school that could get me in in the next two weeks and uh, two and a half years later, graduated with a master's of arts in counseling and started working for another crisis line out of grad school. Uh, this one was not for the deaf or hard of hearing. However, they did so many different things. So I chewed my, chewed my therapist teeth on crisis yet again. And, and it was just, uh, yeah. I recommend that I did too. And oh, Tanya, yeah. your, your journey is just so powerful. A story about your survival and overcoming, but keeping always at the heart, how you would help other people to not go through the same experiences you went through or to be able to heal 
from them and live life differently and have a fuller life. Like it's so clear how you always saw possibility and you used your struggle for good. Yeah. And, and so this is where we, 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 we look at this and go, yes. And Mm -hmm. if there is anything that people sometimes use to describe me is that there's occasionally quite frequently, I am a bull in a China shop. Yeah. You know, and, you know, give me enough so that I can charge into the situation and let's, let's start the process. And then everybody else can come in with their refinery and come in with their grace and come in with more tools and set up a better shop and start clearing up and cleaning up. So for you, Tanya, what is your yes and what is, what is that about for you? The yes and. So the yes and yes is yes, we will do this. And now there's a whole list of things that have to come next. Which ones are going to come first? Mm-hmm. So yes, I and rooted in kindness. So I feel like I might need to explain kindness because a lot of people have a very different opinion about kindness versus niceness than I have. Mm-hmm. And I ask this question quite frequently so that we can help start gauging what your version of nice and kind are. Mean and nice both come from the same place like love and hate. They're both very powerful emotions and they're both very targeted darts on where to hit to emotionally manipulate. For me, and and this was this is going to be my stance, this is going to be my soapbox, the opposite of nice is kindness. Because nice does not acknowledge the elephant in the room. Nice keeps the status quo. Nice tiptoes and walks around on eggshell, whether or not those suckers are broken in the first place. They just, nope, can't walk on the eggshells. Nice maintains that level of superiority. That's, yeah, that's the word I was going to say, superiority and superficiality. Kindness comes in and goes, bullshit, not happening. There's an elephant in the room. Shall we talk about it or shall we start dismantling the wall to remove it? Kindness says there are eggshells on the floor. Most of them are already broken. So my happy little butt is not tiptoeing around Jack. We're going to walk through this floor. Mm-hmm. Kindness says the status quo is not acceptable and I will not have that installed upon me. I have limits, I have boundaries, and self first. So I know that somebody's going to say something about that. Yeah, yeah. So kindness, in your definition, then would would call things out that aren't okay, that would be damaging to one's self worth, to one's like sort of center of sacredness of the self. Yeah, you you can't see it. I'm shaking my head. Yes, like it is just up and down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the difference between nice and kind is that kind is coming from a space of lack of judgment. There is a much reduced judgment there. And nice is coming from a place of emotional manipulation, whether you're receiving it or giving it. And it's coming from a place of judgment. And it comes from that place of what we pretend to be is self sacrifice and selflessness. And it's actually coming from a place of selfishness. We need to keep that comfort zone. 
and kindness comes from a place of selflessness and sometimes a, ba- a place of selfishness because if it does not meet my best interest, I'm not going to do it. Right, right. And that's that's a, a really hard shift for so many of our clients to make because they've never even been given that permission to think that way or to put themselves mm-hmm. first or to put their safety first, you know, all of those. Yeah. So how do you use this, these concepts then, Tanya, in your in your therapeutic work, primarily because you're doing very specific work with biofeedback and neuro-linguistic programming and, and all of that. So that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, huge question. So, and it can be broken down. It's really easy to answer is we start by, so when, when we talk neuro-linguistic programming, neuro, brain, mind, linguistic, speech, programming is your brain is a computer and you were programmed by your parents and your aunties and your uncles and extended family and your grandparents and your parents were programmed by their grandparents or their parents going back generations. So you have programs installed for you and then programs you pick up and learn as you're growing, which is why language and the power of the word is so supremely important. 100%. I'm a huge believer in the primacy of language and people as symbol makers and linguistics. So, so important to us as human beings. Yeah. So, so we work on the words that we use and choose to talk to ourselves because self-talk is so important. And then those words, when we're using them with other people. So we begin with words like, but versus and but negates everything that you just said and includes both of them. I have some clients that are like, no, the word however is the same thing as but. And I'm like, "Um, if you think so, then okay. The word however is the same thing as but. Stop using it. I don't care. You are going to be the one that cares because when I say, yes, I want to go to your cat's quinceanera, that sounds amazing. And... I don't have the schedule for that. My availability is not to be able to. Two things can be true at the same time. Dialectical behavioral therapy tells us this every flipping day. Two things are true at the same time. You're doing the best that you can with the tools and resources available. And I know you can do better. And that's where the kindness comes in, right there in the center. Yes, right there in the center, right here. But how how, how do you do the heart with the, yeah. Getting the heart chakra back. (laughs) Yeah, bring the heart chakra back, right? So- And then um, we also do the word try. Try gets chucked in the, um, you know, the fork it bucket. (laughs) And we replace that with the action word that actually fits in that sentence. Instead of I'm trying to be on a podcast with you, I'm actually engaging with you. Right, right. Right. We're doing a podcast. We're not trying to do a podcast. We're doing it. Yeah. Yes, we're so we're having an amazing conversation. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting as um, a replacement. So this would be an example of neurolinguistic programming that we would replace the word try with then an action word. Exactly. That- okay, yes. cool. And I mean, there's there's so much more that goes into neurolinguistic programming, which is where the kindness comes in, right? Is that when we lose that non-judgment, when we lose that judgment, not the non-judgment, we want to keep the non-judgment, right? Is that we start 
we start as the practitioner looking for those key words that they that the other person is saying and honing in on you know so when they go well i'll never do that again okay so you won't do that but you'll do this i said but and you'll do that and they're like well but i I didn't mean that Uh uh-huh so now let's start saying what we mean so when we say what we mean we mean what we say this is the way to get the mind and the mouth together and cohesive. And it's so important. It sounds really basic. And yet we know as, as individuals, we mess this up all the time. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking too, like, this is so important um, with, with couples, so much of the conflict comes because they're not saying what they mean. Huge. So not only are the couples not saying what they mean, they are meaning what they say when they should not say it. And this is one of those things that we run into with a neuro-linguistic programming is we, we get this so many lessons. I know how to tell the difference between whether you are a feeling speaking person, a thinking speaking person, whether you're a hearing speaking person, or whether you're a visually speaking person. So once I know the main uses of your words, how you receive the world and process it, I can start using your language to talk to you, which breaks down so many different barriers. Now I have a greater connection. I have it faster. And so... So we have so many couples where, uh, you know, she's a visual person and she speaks in visual pictures and images and he's a thinking person and he speaks in logic and rationals and facts. And those two people love each other and they love to hate each other because they can't talk to each other. And so now we start figuring out why don't we use each other's language? And that removes a barrier. You know, keep in mind, I am not a couples therapist. But you're, right. But you can help somebody find a way to, to take on some of these attributes of the other person's like language propensity. This is really interesting. So in, in your work with women, right, you're helping them to really slow things down, slow their speech down. Also, try to understand what the other person, whether it's their partner or somebody else, their style, speaking to them more in their language, and then bringing in this greater notion of kindness, which is about like self-preservation and all of that and how they can yes. relate from a, different, from a different stance. Yes. And and so, and I, I loved, I love that you brought that back to their kindness for them and protecting themselves because women who've been abused, whether it's one instance or whether it's 30 years, you know, and, you know, I have several clients who have been in marriages for 20 and 30 years that this is now a new concept. Kindness means I protect myself first. Yeah. So that's a, I, I love that beautiful description of working with women, especially women who are um, survivors of abuse. And then um, you also use a lot of biofeedback in your work, both as a health coach and a therapist. And what are some examples for 
my listener, like, we don't always know exactly what do you mean by biofeedback, brain training exercises? Like, what is this? Multi-layered, right? So because coaching and therapy are so different, I, I use a few coaching techniques with therapeutic techniques and biofeedback. So there's so many different layers to biofeedback, right? The, well, maybe give us main, like a, a general understanding. Yeah. So the main form of biofeedback, every therapist should be using this. And I'm going to be judgmental in that stance. You should be using biofeedback every session because that's really just, I want you to stop. I want you to breathe. I want you to recognize where's your heart, how's your, you know, what's your blood pressure doing, where, what are you hearing right now? So that we can start recognizing when we back up, where did you start feeling the anxiety and the crisis and the buildup of all of the, and I'm going to use the term excitement because excitement is just a word, the excitement of the rush of now you're in crisis. So biofeedback should be being done all the time. And we should be very aware of it and using it as a tool. Yeah. And I just have to say also, and I loved your specificity of using the word excitement. It shows the neuro-linguistic constant, constant, like checking of what are my words? What is my language? What is the meaning of it? Yeah. Because the, you know, the word excitement, it, everybody always thinks that excitement must mean it's a happy, joyful, woohoo, I'm so excited. We're going to do this thing. Yeah. Except that your body is excited and you don't have to feel happy about that crap. Exactly. Your body is like, and you all like, oh, this is not feeling good. Yeah. Could be the same feeling as anxiety, same feeling as yeah. normal. Okay. So this is so, wonderful. We have to use our biofeedback every day to try to, um, with our clients to try to help them breathe, get censored, get in touch with all of the senses and, and perceptions that they can get from their body, their mind, their breath. Yes. And that's where, when, when we start working on the difference between therapeutic brain training exercises and the actual separation from the brain training that I do from a training neurological perspective. So Brain training in session looks like, tell me what you just thought. Tell me the thought before that. Tell me the thought before that. Give me the feelings. Give me the, you know, the body sensations. What I do outside of therapy, because it's a completely separate arena for biofeedback, neurofeedback is a very specific form of biofeedback where we use sensors to track brain waves. And then we use audio and visual stimulation to, to help figure out where those brain waves are and get them back on track. We've known about brain waves since the 1920s. We've been, we in America have been studying the, all of the brain waves and there's, oh my God, I can't even count how many brain waves there are. And then we've been studying the influence of what we can do to influence brain waves to put them back into the speeds that they belong in. So our brain is speeding information back and forth and in different levels of sleep, uh, meditation, alertness, and, you know, learning alertness, they speed at different levels. And when they start speeding slow, 
in the awake spaces, we start feeling sluggish and tired. And when they're speeding fast in the sleep phase, that's when we're awake. And so we're having problems sleeping because the brain is speeding during sleep and it should be like off during sleep. And then we so, can be problems focusing during the day or studying or something because our brain waves are not at the optimum. Yeah. And that increases anxiety. It increases depression and, and, and the feelings of depression. And it we have trouble sleeping at night because if we're not able to slow the brain down, the brain can't sleep. It's, it's like leaving a car on idle all night and in neutral. Well, it wants to go somewhere, but you've put the parking brake on. So we're, we're not getting where we need to be. So I use, I use a very specific type of software that we monitor your brain waves while you're receiving audio and visual feedback. And when the brain is on the right speed for the alertness that you're supposed to be, you get the, the screen will brighten and dim. Mm -hmm. And so you get your brain gets a dopamine rush and it likes that. And so the brain chases that. And this is a healthy way for us to train your brain to put the speeds back where they belong for your brain waves. Anxiety starts decreasing, thinking starts increasing, the ability to be alert during alert times and asleep during asleep times. Oh. Um, like, and and so I'm not just the owner, I'm a client. And and so ask, Anya, if, if have has this worked for you? <laughs> oh, my Lanta. Um, so not, not only has this worked for me, uh, we, we have a, we have a French bulldog who is receiving neurofeedback and his epilepsy has decreased in severity and the number of uh, seizures that he has in a week has decreased. We have a, how do you look, I, I mean, your joy is just amazing right now. <laughs> I know, like, like when, when I find a modality of treatment that it works, it's like, it's so it's, you know, cause I'm the dynamite coach, right? Like blammo dynamite. This is, oh my gosh. Like I, there was a period of time from like December to March where I was forgetting to lock my front door. It's not a big deal. I live in a decent neighborhood. Like nobody's coming in my dang house. I, I just would forget to lock the front, the front door. And since I started training, my door is locked every single night. Your dog is my like anxiety. seizures. Yeah, the dog, right? The dog has decreased seizures. A two-year-old has started using words, you know, so, um, so we've got a two-year-old in, in one of our offices that she's developmentally on track. She's just slightly slower on track mm -hmm. and, and she's now using more words. And yeah, we have um, an autistic nine-year-old, nonverbal, has now been speaking in complete sentences. Wow. So we How say brain does one need to do this, this brain training. Um, like say for somebody with, you know, you, you said it's even helped your anxiety. So like, what are some of the recommendations for using it? So for using neurofeedback, it's really ideal and I say ideal, right? Uh, so depending upon the number of sessions that our assessment indicates, you'll start seeing results in about five to eight sessions. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you can do a session every single day, five days a week, right? So five, five days a week, you'll start seeing results pretty quickly. My sessions, I started seeing results in four sessions, right? And I think it was um, five sessions. I went off of one of my sleeping medications. Like I, I don't have to take that anymore. I'm actually sleeping at night. And for somebody who has struggled with insomnia for over, well, I'm in my late forties for over 30 years. Right. So, so yeah, so it's best to do it, you know, every day for the required number of sessions. If you can't do every day, the, I, I need you in my office at least twice a week to start getting somewhere. The more often it's like riding a bike, you practice every day, every day you get exponentially better at doing this, you know, so it's exercising. Well, and it makes sense go in. The brain's neuroplasticity and being able to like continue to do this training as it were, just like any other muscle we need to exercise. That's, that's exactly so cool. And, and the hope that it gives to your clients, imagine if clients started seeing results after four sessions, I mean, most of our clients would be very happy with that. So it, it brings so much hope to the clients you treat. And I, and I know that your, your center also works with veterans, um, mm-hmm. have you seen, have you seen real promise with the neurofeedback and veterans? So yes, we have. And I say we, because it's, it's myself, my partner and a couple of other women we have, we, so we have the healing our heroes program and, and it's, it's really up to me to, to work with, I want to make sure that our heroes include first responders and first responders include police officers, frontline firefighters, frontline crisis workers, frontline 911 operators, frontline. We are in the trenches, right? So one of my partners, she works. Amazing that you serve those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my partners, she works with firefighters and police officers. Like that is, those are the, the, the first responders she works with. Um, one of my partners works specifically with veterans and I'm like, yes, healing our heroes was designed for veterans because we know that on that scale of one to 10 veterans are off the charts at 50, right? Because the, the level of trauma and and experience that they've had is just a very different, intense, long and intense trauma, right? Very short duration. However, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six months. Whereas our trauma was every few hours, every few days for 20 years, not the same. And so healing our heroes, when we, when we work with veterans, yes, we have actually seen massive, massive shifts with them. And so we provide our services for veterans and heroes at a discounted rate. And we do that through the generous donations of everybody who comes into the center, they five or $10 more. And that goes into the healing our heroes fund, because there's one thing that we know is that veterans have typically, if they're not getting the treatment that they deserve, uh, their socioeconomic status is severely impacted. Well, what a so, wonderful model that, that your 
um, centers are providing. That's so great. That's really, really beautiful. As you describe this, your work, Tanya, and your passion for it, I'm, I'm also curious, like doing, being a neurofeedback therapist, like how has that impacted your approach to life? So you seem like somebody who has a lot of like life force and energy. And so, yes, how has, has this career and, and the work of being a therapist impacted your approach to life? Yeah. So this one is like one of those fun questions, because if you haven't figured this out yet, dear readers and dear listeners, I'm a little passionate. Okay. I have, I have a few ounces of passion and, and it gets, it gets refilled every time I, I go, I, I'm feeling a certain type of way. I just shift perspective and look at and go there's there's the refill station it's kind of like gas in your car i just go fill up with my my passion gas and when i found neurofeedback that just adds another gas station that i get to go to and it it fuels my helper um from a different perspective and so i can go yes and now i never run out of gas ever Right. So I, this I, is I, so nurturing to you. Like it, it yeah. recharges you. I love how you say that it, it refills your, your tank. And you know, that, that also goes to self-care, which is something I talk about a lot with guests on my podcast and is so important for therapists because for the most part, we usually like push it away or poo-poo it, or, you know, do like one little thing. <laughs> Tell me about your, journey with this and self-care because it seems like clearly you figured out something that works for you. Yeah. Well, I've not just one thing I've figured out like all the things, right? So I don't remember what year it was that everybody jumped on the self-care bandwagon, which was self-care is not just pedicures and bubble baths. And, and I think we've gone to an extreme with that. And I want to bring that back which is, you know, if that's the only kind of self-care that you are allowed to have right now, then H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah. Self-care is pedicures and bubble bath. Go pay somebody to give you a mani-pedi and go get some bath bombs and get your butt in the bathtub because so yes, self-care is that with kindness folks. <laughs> I, I am non-judgmentally because I got to tell you, I've got clients that come in and they're like, and we talk about self-care and I'm like, what are you doing for self-care? What does that look like? And well, they're like, um, well, I think I got a pedicure last month. And I'm like, cool. When's the last time you brushed your teeth? Are you taking your meds on a daily basis? And they're like, oh, well, maybe. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to start shifting that. You know, I, I have really strong beliefs that self-care includes getting up in the morning not in the afternoon, in the morning. Okay. You're not a 7am club. I'm not a 7am club. You know what? Sometimes I wake up 15 minutes before I have to start seeing clients, brush your dang teeth and wash your hair. Mm -hmm. That's self-care. Self-care is also making sure that when your budget allows for it, go get a pedicure, go get a manicure. When was the last time you had a professional haircut? Did you see the optometrist this year? When was your last massage? Put that in the spending plan to make sure you have it. Neurofeedback, coming to therapy, 
does your budget allow for you to hire somebody else to come in and clean your house? Because mine occasionally allows for me to pay somebody to do my laundry for me. All of these things, when you really parse it out like this and you look at the consistency, which I think is so important for self-care, we overlook that a lot. I just love how you look at some of the basics, right? Self-care doesn't have to be fancy. It could be, you know, like whatever it is. There's something to be said about putting on clean clothes and going and having that pedicure and going and doing those, what, what a lot of people in the self-care movement call luxury items, Mm -hmm. except that those aren't luxury. If your body hurts because depression is debilitating, you deserve a massage from a trauma-informed trauma care massage therapist. And I am so blessed to have not one, but multiple of those people in my life that I refer to on a daily basis. And, and you deserve to go have a pedicure because man, some days when your body hurts, reaching down and clipping your own toenails sometimes doesn't happen. And you deserve that. So we look at this from a kindness perspective. How can you choose kindness to yourself today? Because kindness is self-care. Right. That's so beautiful. Yes. And, and I really like how you said too, like if your body hurts or if you hurt, like depression hurts, that hurts emotionally or, you know, anxiety hurts and you, you need to have some sort of some calm or some kind of ease. You might need something you can pay for to get that, right? And that's yeah. what. Yeah. And and I get that, you know, been there, done that, right? I mean, I was, <laughs> I was out of a job for two years from 2008 to 2010, right? I get that you can't always pay for a massage therapist. There were days in that, in that month, in that uh, two-year time frame where I couldn't even pay my own water bill, right? The water bill was 30 bucks a month. And it's like, other people paid that for me. So kindness is allowing somebody else to take you out to lunch and not judging the fact that somebody just paid for your lunch. Kindness is taking somebody else out to lunch and saying, I got you, boo. It's you and me today. Your self-care is allowing for those of us who are very rigid people, and I know it doesn't sound like I'm a very rigid person. I'm a very rigid person. I have really strong beliefs. I know this is a shock, right? <laughs> um, you know, so when people take me out to lunch, there's there's this this thing that I still I still work on this with my therapist and my coaches, where I struggle with letting other people do kind things for me or even nice things for me. When they take me out to lunch, I feel like I have to pay for me. Like that's, I have to do that. Oh my gosh. And so. You that. And, and at some points in your life, receiving wasn't, wasn't safe. And so, you know, you, you come right. honestly, I like to say, right. And yeah, I need help with that. Yes. So, so some doing, doing a kindness for yourself, doing self-care is allowing the receipt to happen. You so. work with some pretty tough clients, Tanya, that, that have experienced a lot of trauma, a a lot of, um, issues in their, in their lives that are, that are hard, that are painful. What inspires you to keep doing this work, to keep showing up? Their response 
and their effort, right? Like I come in, I have, I have one client that we are now working on shifting her to, to stop receiving services. And like, I always tell clients at the beginning that when we start working together, my role, my job is to work myself out of it. Mm. So when you put forth the effort and we start challenging those really strong, long-held beliefs and you start shifting your shirt, know that I meant the poop board right there. When you start shifting your shirt and you start healing, like that really juices me up, right? I, I get high off of your healing. I offer healing. Oh, I love I, it. Right? Well, because so, you know, so here's the fun thing, right? Is I am a health coach. Focus on the heal, right? Mm-hmm. So when you heal, I can't not get happy about that. I can't not celebrate that. That has to be like, like right now, I am, my oxytocin, my dopamine are just like flooding everywhere. I am so excited about when somebody heals, when they, when they get that little nugget, my client yesterday, she went through and she wrote these things down and, and we're working on her healing from a narcissistic abusive relationship. And she's like, oh yeah, he did this. She recognized at the end of the conversation where he did, so that there's an acronym called DARVO. And, you know, deny, attack, reverse, victim, offender. She recognized that one sentence there at the end, I say end kind of in quotes, right? Where he darvoed her and where she was like, oh, uh-uh, what's your intention for speaking to me this way? That was four minutes sooner than what it was when she and I first started working together. That four minutes does not seem like a lot to some people. That was four minutes sooner that she disengaged and stopped a conversation. How can I not celebrate? You have to celebrate that. And that just makes me so excited, which in turn helps them understand their progress because she's sitting here going, I don't see the progress. I'm not feeling the progress. And I'm like, oh, I like, okay. And then she goes, oh. Oh, I did that. Yeah. Because I, and I was like, yes. Right. And, and she sees her therapist getting so excited for her, which is amazing. Right. And you challenge so hard, right? You, you, you drive the challenge, but you also drive that celebration, that party when they are really making improvements, making changes. And yes, well, and, and and we do that because we know so much about the brain and the body, right? Which is um, every time you get happy, there's a dopamine hit. Every time there there's positive reinforcement and positive feedback. And I and here, here's another one of Tanya's hints and tips and tricks of the trade, strengths-based positivity, right? So when there's strengths-based positivity there, when there's strengths-based reinforcement there, the body's getting the dopamine hit, the body's getting that oxytocin hit, the body has to respond. It can't not respond to that amazingness. And when you start learning to recognize that, that's part of the therapeutic biofeedback that we do in session. Recognize how that's feeling for you right now. She's like, oh my God, that feels good. And I was like, yeah, baby. 
be a good. Right. Yeah. And, you know, four minutes, if that happens in real life, that could be enough time to, instead of, of not having that window, four minutes could be enough time to get in the car and go or to get safe or something like that. So we're, we're looking Turn around at- and walk away from the conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. These like, are like action-based, um, you know, results. Yes. And, and when they see their action, when they feel their action, when they hear themselves taking those steps, when they think about what did I do last time? And then they can repeat that. Mm-hmm. That is like, talk about empowerment, right? Talk about taking your power back. I got to tell you, woman, she takes that and goes, yeah, and then does it again. And I'm like, my, my work. Like, how can your work be more rewarding than for your clients to start showing themselves the progress that they make? Because I got to tell you, I, like, listen, all I'm doing is sitting here and standing here and just spitting back out at you what you just said to me. And you are changing your life. Because that's what I help you do. Because I'm a mind changer. I'm a mind shifter. Hashtag change your mind, change your life, right? Right. I can't do that for you. Like, you are the one changing. And like, yeah, fan myself. It's it's so amazing when they they do the work and shift it. And and you get to be a witness and a guide and, you know, you're at, you're at the end of that labyrinth when they come out and that, you know, that's what you're celebrating. So beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well, Tanya, I really am so glad we got to have this conversation today. And I know so many of the listeners are going to love your energy and your passion and, and learn so much about biofeedback, how they can bring that into their sessions and especially stay kind as heart-centered therapists. That's so important. So tell everyone, where can they find out more about you, your work and all of that? And we will list it in the show notes too, but if you can just give us a sense of where we can find you. Thank you. Yes. So uh, my name is Tanya Winnegar and you can find me for therapy. You can Google us at Gateway Behavioral Health Consultants. We are in St. Louis, Missouri. And I apologize, I don't have the number memorized because I have an administrative assistant for that. And for neurofeedback, very specific biofeedback, uh, I am Brain Train Center St. Louis. You can find me at www.braintraincentersinc.com. Oh, thank you. That's great. Well, everything will be in the show notes and I'm just so glad we got to meet and thank you for this amazing work you're doing with clients and it's, it's the best. Thank you so much for having me on this. This is so much fun. I love this. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.